Dr. Soder. Now, my nurse tells me you've blown four root canal appointments. Well, you're finished in this office. Welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Paletta. And I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. And we come to you today with a, uh, to, to finish out the cycle, um, do our, our full wrap on director Reza Body with mm-hmm. season three, episode 21, Crackback. So that's why we've chosen this episode. <laughs> Crackback. Yes. I am excited about doing, talking about this episode. Yeah. It's a, in our, in our between episode talk where we talk <laughs> between our, Plus expenses episode and our two hundred a day episode. I think we said oh, this is a pretty straightforward episode. Well, I mean, in context of the recent episodes we've been doing, yeah, we, yeah. we've had to had like a little bit of a strategy about how to talk about them, uh, either because the episode uh, was a bit of a departure or you know whatever. But this one uh, was a nice, solid Rockford mm-hmm. Files episode. Was, Beth was in it, which is mm-hmm. great. Um, a Beth episode, if you will. Episode, yeah, we get a little Dennis. Rocky's and Angel are both mentioned. <laughs> Rock, Rocky is technically in it. Is he? I, I don't even remember the scene. Answering the phone at Rocky's house, and then he's in the last. Oh scene. yes, yeah, yes, yes. You're right. Yes, yeah, yeah. Angel is mentioned, but like with plot relevance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, oh. <laughs> even the answering machine plays a a important role in the episode. So <laughs> does it? Well, he he checks it, and there's a message on. Oh, it. oh, the answering machine in yeah, the physical answering <laughs> yeah. machine. I, I, the, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we have had a, a spell of non-core character episodes for yeah. a while, so it definitely it did feel. Once Dennis showed up, I was like, oh right. <laughs> <laughs> and if this is the very first two hundred a day episode that you're listening to. Thank you for joining us, but we don't watch them in order. So the fact that we've had this uh, stretch of them is just random. Mm-hmm. It, it has nothing to do with the actual Rockford files or how they were ordered on television or right. anything like that. This one does happen to come uh, towards the end of season three, almost the last episode um, of that season, um, which, you know, is a real like there's like a real I was going to say it's not a creamy, a nougaty metal. I don't know that. It depends mm-hmm. on how you feel about nougat, I suppose. There's like a real <laughs> tasty middle of this show. Like the first couple seasons, sometimes where we, we talk about like, oh, it hasn't really found its footing yet, or they're still settling into the characters, mm-hmm. or they're adapting a script from something else, so it doesn't really have lots of rock pretty things in it, whatever. Towards the end of the ser- series, they're doing more guest stars, more weird stuff, yeah. more episodes that like maybe don't even have a mystery in them, like yeah. stuff like that, which is still all good, just a little different. But like end of season three, I feel like is a real there's a real bell curve of like what kind of show it is, and like end of season three, mm-hmm. season four is a real real Rockfordy time. Yeah. That all said, we are, as I said, putting the wrap on Reza Badi. And so, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we've mentioned him in each of the episodes he's directed. Uh, I think every time I've mentioned that he designed the Hawaii Five O title credits with the iconic wave. I can add to this now. Mm. Uh, not with Hawaii Five O, but so uh, Emily and I have decided that we are going to watch Mary Tyler Moore. Mm-hmm. And uh, we uh, this... Mary Tyler Moore is become our time to 
put our troubled brains to rest before we go to bed episode uh, show. Mm. It's funny. It's well done. Uh, and it fits that zone of like, it, it's probably not going to bring up a topic that's going to cause us mm. any stress right now. Right. Mm. Like that's it. So it's a good, good, like, especially currently we are, you listening to this or not, but currently, uh, well, currently Nathan and I are in the spooky season. So, mm. you know, you watch a scary movie and then you need something to, to sort of, get that out of your system before you retire to the dark. Anyways, <laughs> the point is, uh, we've watched maybe half dozen episodes so far and I, I keep seeing his name in the end credits. And, but like, I forget, like I see his name. I'm like, Oh, raise a baddie. Like I did, mm-hmm. I, like I recognize him as the direct, the rapper files director, of course. And it wasn't until very recently that I paused it long enough to see what his credit is for. I think he did the Mailer Tyler Moore title sequence. He did. He did indeed. Um, <laughs> the, I, uh, the, the throwing the hat thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's all him. So it's two iconic mm-hmm. TV uh, sequence, title sequences. Um, you know, I did a quick, a quick check. He has 21 credits on IMDb. For title visualization, so oh. that includes Hawaii Five O, Mary Tyler Moore, uh, Get Smart. Um, okay, yeah, and other other shows people may have heard of. So that's all in addition to his directing career, uh, in which, so as far as I can tell, he's the only person who has been awarded this particular award, which is the Directors Guild of America Award for Most Hours of TV Directing. Wow, <laughs> which ended up over. Uh, he says it's over 400 and 420 at some point, And there was some other source where there was a specific number, but it's at the time it was over 400. And then that he directed some more after that. So it's in the, the, the low to mid four hundreds of total hours of TV directed for this guy. Wow. He's a, seems like a very interesting person. Uh, he's Iranian. He studied, uh, cinema in our, in Iran. And then he made a, I don't have all the dates in front of me because um, there's a lot you could go to, you know, can look them up. All these, a lot of this stuff is from the sources linked in his Wikipedia art, like article mm-hmm. about him. So, you know, you can look through those, but he was a responder for there's some serious floods in Iran in the, I suppose that would be the sixties. And he made a documentary film about the, recovery effort about them and about like recovery and the red cross ended up showing that documentary across the world he was actually invited to come to the states it's a little vague because it's always stated as he was he was direct he was invited by the state department to come to the states to do film to study more film he ended up at a school uh i forget exactly where but he ended up at a school where uh robert altman was also Mm. attending slash starting to direct. So he ended up being mm-hmm. a frequent collaborator with Robert Altman in his early career. And so he's like an assistant huh. director on like the earliest Altman film and stuff like that. Neat. And then, yeah, ended up parlaying that into being the most prolific TV director of, of the 90s or of the nineties of the 1900s, at least, um, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if anyone's been approaching his, his, uh, his level since then. So with all of that, he did seven episodes of the Rockford files mm-hmm. and I have a little bit more to talk about with him, but I, I think maybe we'll do a quick hit episode power rankings for his okay, entries yeah. into the, uh, the show, uh, from first to, to, to last that he directed, he did the Becker connection, which is our episode 94 
Crackback, which is this episode we're doing now. Um, so I guess, you know, asterisk on this one because we haven't talked about it yet, but yeah, it's in the running. Second Chance, our episode 49. Um, so Becker Connection was the one where uh, Becker was framed for uh, being a heroin mule or whatever. Some drug deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, second Chance is the second Gandhi episode. Mm-hmm. Or rather the third Gandhi episode. Whatever. It's it's the other Gandhi episode. <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's not the Polish wedding. Right, and it's not the first one. Not the Hammer of Cell Block C. Yeah, or the Hammer of C Block, I believe. You you always say it that way, which is, it's a, they're both good titles. I think we, we accept yeah, yeah, both yeah. titles here on 200 a day. <laughs> um, the Dog and Pony Show, our episode 75. That one is the one where uh, there's a gangster who ends up in an asylum. He thinks he's a CIA agent. I'm trying to remember what the initial frame for it is. Oh, right. Oh, man, that's been a while. It's the one where Jim goes to therapy. Oh, yes. Where Jim and Angel go to therapy, and then Jim ends up in this, like, relationship with this woman who had had yeah. an episode, and now no one's sure if she's actually par- if she's paranoid or if she- something's actually happening. Yeah. <laughs> the IMDb... Uh- Description, helping a young woman with a history of mental illness leads Jim into crossing paths with the mob and federal intelligence. That's just beautiful. Just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, yeah, that's a kind of a sleeper. I remember that liking that one quite a lot. Um, but, yeah, sometimes I forget what the titles are. Um, mm-hmm. So that was our episode 75. Our episode 72 was Dwarf in a Helium Hat, which was the mm-hmm. uh, rock star one. Um, a Fast Count was the one we did most recently. Uh, with the boxer, um, the whole boxing situation. Oh, right. That's just the last one. <laughs> I was like, I don't remember that one at all. And a different drummer was our episode 98, and that was the medical horror one. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. We ranking them? Is that what we're doing? Or what? what are we- I guess, let's see. If we were going to recommend which ones out of these seven episodes would you recommend? I'd say that. They're all bangers, as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, if they are me. Uh, okay, so Dwarf in the Helium Hat uh, is very, very aptly titled. Because <laughs> I remember that one being a little bit of a romp. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, it's it's hard because I don't quite remember all of the direction. Sure, for, like, sure. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm grasping at, like, what the... But... Uh, I mean, I'm thinking more inclusive, not just ba- not based on, like... I mean, it's yeah. a little hard. Sometimes we try to call out shots and stuff. It's a little hard to say, like how much influence the direction has on most of these, right? Mostly it's the scripts, but which I have something to say about actually that he talked about, but yeah, I guess just kind of inclusive as a body of a body of work. Yeah. The Becker connection is good. I remember really liking that one. Second chance. I remember being, uh, pretty good too. Second chance has, has a, uh, that is Dion Warwick in it too. Yeah. So the second, second chance is a good one in my mind. It, it, it suffers by being the middle child of the Gandhi episodes because mm-hmm. I really love a Polish wedding and mm-hmm. uh, the hammer of C block mm-hmm. is uh, also a really good episode. But as we've discussed many times, um, <laughs> kind of a bummer, <laughs> it's a bummer. And then they took the the character that of, of Gandhi and just changed him so that he, he wasn't mm-hmm. this horrible or just ignored the fact that he was this. Yeah horrible person in in the other one um but it is second chance is a good one uh yeah i don't i'm trying to remember 
Yeah, I think I would say just based on like my, yeah, how strongly they are in my memory. Yeah, I mean, second chance. I just think it's like, I agree that it's a little complicated because we have such a specific sense of right. what we like about <laughs> the Gandhi episodes and whatever. But as a standalone episode, it's got Isaac Hayes, it's got Dionne Warwick, it's got yeah. James Garner. Like, it's, you know, it's it's yeah. it's good. It's good um, stuff. Even though I couldn't remember which one it was based on the title, I think the the Dog and Pony show, I remember feeling like it was really well constructed, like the surprise. Mm-hmm. There was like a fun twist that actually felt like a twist. And there's a lot of good angel stuff in it, too. Yeah. I thought A Fast Count was really good. We did just do it. Yeah, it's there's that other thing that I'm trying to avoid being just into the ones that I that are most present in my head, which are Fast Count and obviously Crackback. Yeah. I think Dwarf and Helium Hat, yeah, it's I don't remember it well enough to say that you should watch it over one of the other ones. Yeah. Um and the Becker Connection, I think, is like a real workhorse episode. Like it's real solid. There's nothing wrong with it. And we get some good Becker, of course. You know what? Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, because the Becker Connection has that one that sequ uh, that sequence where he comes back because it's his birthday, right? And he mm-hmm. has to go and respond to a thing, and then he comes back. Yeah, and he's like in his house and has like the banner that says "Happy Birthday, Becker," and it's like falling down or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So from a pure visual storytelling standpoint, a lot of that is mm-hmm. coming back to me as I think about it. It also has that like it has that final beat where the crooked cop is like on the ground and and Becker has to read him his rights while he's like all injured and stuff. And they used to be friends. Like, so that one might be pretty high up there. Actually. I was just trying to think of like other, like solid Becker episodes, which is not what we're doing right now. Uh, but if we were, it would definitely Mm -hmm. be in the top, Mm -hmm. you know, along with, uh, um, well, that really early one where Farnsworth stratagem. (laughs) Yeah. Is that our first one? Is that our first episode? It's like our third episode, I think. Yeah. Anyway, they're good episodes. Yeah, I guess a different drummer maybe is the one that I'm le- that I would least recommend because it's kind of all over. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I I wasn't super into it. Yeah, I mean, like if if you got a one of them has to be at the bottom of the ten or seven. There you go. There's our muddled our muddled recommendations. Um, they're good episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll do my best to remember to put these links in the show notes. But um, there are a couple interviews with him that have been archived over the mm-hmm. years. Um, he died in 2011 and there is a, uh, an interview that's on the television Academy website, which every so often has some great, like, that's where a lot of good, like James Garner interviews are and stuff like that, that I've oh, come yeah, across yeah. and it's pretty extensive. It's pretty long cause he had such a long career, but I w- was able to find this, some, the spot where he's talking about the Rockford files. So I'll link to that in the show notes, but, uh, there's a quote from where he starts talking about it, where he says that uh, my wife used to say, I know when you're doing the Rockford files, because when you go to the shower in the morning, I can hear you singing. And that was true. (laughs) (laughs) When I look back, I find the scripts that came my way to direct. Some of the best of them came in the Rockford. It was truly intelligent script. And the whole organization was... uh, was wonderful to work with and uh we we were we were it was a joy to work over there and he actually goes into detail talking about david chase and and how a lot of the stuff that ends up in the sopranos he saw from doing the dog and pony show and he's talking about the character of like the mafioso yeah like going crazy or whatever like 
working with that and then seeing how that, you know, developed through Chase's career was, you know, he thought that was special. Um, and that working with James Garner was wonderful. And it was a very good time doing the show. That's great. You love to hear it. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, join us for our next podcast, The Full 400, where oh we go God. through all 400 hours. <laughs> yeah. If- <laughs> If someone wants a podcast that will never end, you could do the full <laughs> the full four hundred. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. pretty good. You'd be watching a lot of Mission Impossible. That's one of his. Yeah, there's stats. some Incredible Hulk in there. Mm-hmm. I was excited about that. <laughs> it's like the most the most episodes of Mission Impossible of by any single director oh. were done by him. So, wow. Yeah. There we go. <clears throat> so that all said, this episode is written by Juanita Bartlett. Uh, yeah, the, our fan favorite. Fan favorite, <laughs> and I think as with so many of her scripts the humanistic treatment of Beth in particular yeah. comes through pretty, pretty strong. So at the risk of this being a overlong episode, we should probably go ahead and get to the preview montage. Yeah. This one's actually pretty quick. Uh, mm-hmm. There's, we see that Beth's in it. We see that Dennis is going to be no help. <laughs> uh, and uh, we get a, a good line that shows up uh, partway through, which is psychos get top priority with me. Um, where Beth is trying to get Jim not to put her concerns at the top, uh, which is se- seems very Bethy, mm-hmm. Beth like, uh, Beth esque. My only notes from this were: it's a Beth episode. There's a threat to Beth. Seems serious. Yep, it, it moves <laughs> real quick. Yeah. Hey, Epi, did you know that we are a 100% listener supported show? I did not know that. Wait, I, I did. I did. <laughs> And it is because of our patrons over Ooh. at patreon.com slash 200 a day. In addition to our gratitude, patrons also receive exclusive episode previews and plus expenses. Now, that is the podcast before the podcast. And that's where we talk about other stuff going on in our lives mm-hmm. and games and movies and all kinds of things. Yeah. We extend special thanks to our gumshoe patrons supporting this episode of 200 a day. Brian Burnson has a Facebook page where he drives his Rockford tribute car to shooting locations from the show. Check out facebook.com slash Brian Rockford Files. Join Mitch Hampton to examine all matters aesthetic and what it means to be human at the Journey of an Aesthete podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Dale Norwood wrote a book. Find Trading Freedom, How Trade with China Defined Early America, wherever good books are sold. It's about fast ships, cheap drugs, and American political economy. Chuck from whatyoureading.com, Paul Townend, who also recommends the podcast Fruit Loops, Serial Killers of Color, at fruitloopspod.com, Shane Liebling, his site rollforyear.party, has all of your online dice rolling needs, Jay Adon, check out his amazing miniature painting skills over at jayadon.com, Andre Apignani, Tom Clancy, Pumpkin Java Peach Pug, Dave P., Dave Otterson, Kip Holly, and Dale Church. And finally, we can't thank our detective patrons enough for their generous support of the show. Joe Greathead, Michael Zalisco, Eric Antenner at Antenner on Twitter, Brian Pereira at Thermoware, Jordan Bockelman, not Brockelman, at Jordan Bockelman, Bill Anderson at BillAnd88, and of course, Richard Haddam at Richard Haddam. We follow them too at 200pod. If you're interested in helping keeping us going, you can do so for as little as a dollar an episode at patreon.com slash 200 a day. Thank you. Thanks so much.
Speaking of moving real quick, yeah, the the over the opening, yeah, we start off with our titles right over uh, a scene of chaos as two guys in ski masks are holding up a bar, one with a handgun and one with like a full long rifle, which is <laughs> pretty intimidating. Um, there's some business where they're like, we got all the, you know, we, we got all the receipts, but everyone throw your cash on your, on the table on the way out. And mm-hmm. the, the bar owner, uh, manager who we'll see more of later, he's telling everyone just to, you know, stay calm, just do what they want. But unfortunately the bartender who has been holding up his hands the whole time edges over to an alarm button and hits mm-hmm. it, uh, ringing what sounds like a fire alarm. And one of the goons reacts by shooting him and he goes down. Everyone, you know, is running and screaming. And uh, I think we see one of them go over to check and he comes up and he's like has like blood on his hand or something. Yeah. Uh, And then they 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 make their escape as we crossfade with our additional titles um, to find uh, the Firebird cruising through the streets of L.A., (laughs) to finally uh, arrive at Harcourt and Lowe's. The one thing I wanted to say about that opening, because most of my notes about this opening thing are just about the tension in it, mm-hmm. right? Like, as you, there's lots of good shots showing you that, that they're, the robbers are twitchy and um, you can see that the bartender is inching towards setting them off. My notes are like, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing is that... Uh, We'll find out that his name is Gibby. We know that the place is called Gibby's Place uh, from the the outside or whatever. But Gibby in the powder blue uh, mm-hmm. suit, the who's telling them to go along, uh, he to me I don't know how, to you, but to me he felt like he was in on it. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, I I remembered only portions of this episode and not what the underlying mystery or like how it all works out or whatever. Mm-hmm. So like. I'm making guesses as I'm making my notes right, here. Right, yeah. And in my guesses, I'm like, I don't I don't trust this Gibby character. Yeah, I suppose you were right not to do so, but not for that reason. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he definitely seemed kind of mobbed up. Yeah. Just from, from the get-go. So, you know, that's always suspicious. We learn quickly as Jim joins um, Beth that she is defending Davey Woodhall, who is a running back... Um, who's currently mm-hmm. who's been benched for most of the season, but who was uh, picked up by the cops the day after the robbery, and he was wearing an expensive wristwatch that matched the description of one that was stolen, and so that was some other circumstantial evidence led them to bringing him in for the for the robbery. So they go to talk to Davy, and Jim is starstruck as he is talking yes. to a, <laughs> a football star, as he says, one of the most promising running backs in pro football. Um, the reason that Beth has called in Jim is to find uh, a girl that Davey said he was with the night of the robbery. Mm-hmm. That's his alibi. But she's vanished. She doesn't want to. She hasn't come forward because Davey says that she's married and doesn't want, you know, isn't willing to face a scandal or whatever. Married, but separated. She's got a kid and she's trying to get custody of the kid. Mm hmm. And that's why she doesn't want to come forward. And uh, Beth says that the you know the cops are on it. She doesn't think they're going to turn anything up. And she had someone else on it. <laughs> and Jim immediately <laughs> yes. gets offended. The phone book is full of PIs. Uh, such a good line. <laughs> I mean, it's a good line for Beth to deliver to Jim. Yes. Like, I feel like that's a, a good moment. You were my first choice, naturally, but you were fishing. 
You're always fishing. <laughs> yes. Jim, despite being offended that he didn't already hear about this, even though he was fishing, um, uh, he asks if he's going to, if the job is going to be for cash or for like another favor or something like that. Mm-hmm. For cash. Yeah, I want the job. And I'm not always fishing. Sometimes I watch football. <laughs> yes. So this is probably an opportunity for us to revisit Jim and Beth, their whole thing. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while since we've had a, a Beth episode. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, I mean, this episode, we're going to see uh, them. You know, Jim really cares for Beth and Beth really cares for Jim. Uh, some clear implications and whatnot. Uh, but also why you don't mix business with pleasure, I guess, is what, mm-hmm. what, what it comes down to uh, in this in this moment. This this thing where Beth uses a P.I. that isn't Jim. Uh, it's clear that Jim owes Beth money, probably for uh, lawyering that she's done. There's a, there, there's kind of an eternal balance sheet with them. Right. Where yeah. Like, yeah, she <laughs> you know, she provides him with both uh, uh formal and informal legal services. He does stuff to help her out with cases sometimes, sometimes again, formally, Mm -hmm. sometimes informally. And so there's often this point of like, so am I on the clock for this or is this a favor? Right. And right. I have no sense. Do I think either of them is going to call, like call in their chips to mix the metaphors, right? Mm -hmm. Like the nature of their relationship is such that they both use the fact that this back and forth, set of favors happens to their advantage when they need something. Right. 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 Um, at no point are they going to settle up in any way. Yeah. <laughs> at least not in the scope of uh, the show. The The movies give us a little bit of a different interpretation, but yeah, it, there's, there's a imbalance here where I think the assumption is that Jim, Jim, Jim is, probably more often in need of just the straight cash right. than he is in in, in uh uh working down his debt or anything like right, that right. so like yeah yeah and then i think this episode we'll see more of this in later scenes but this is also um this kind of gives us a look at them operating in a in a state of uh romantic parody um parody yeah. with a t the, so some of the other episodes with jim and beth there's another person involved in a personal relationship with one or the other mm-hmm. of them, like someone like a man that, that Beth is seeing or a woman that Jim, mm-hmm. you know, is interested in or whatever. And so the fact that they have this interest or relationship with a, th- with a third party creates some of their dynamic. In this case, we actually see uh, all of the stuff, all of the plot in this one is, um, I guess professional. I mean, it's personal as we'll get into, but it's revolving around yeah. the, the case. Uh, and so we see them kind of in a state where neither of them is particularly, neither of them is particularly attached to anybody else. Right. Mm-hmm. So we see a lot more of their just casual flirtation, not even flirtations, but their, their casual um, physical just relationship. Just a relationship. Right. Yeah. 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 There's a bit in here where, um, as it begins, I'm I'm wondering like Beth is being very uh, evasive in her answers of things. Like she's she got a different PI, and you know Jim wasn't the first person that she went to on this. And so there's a little bit of it here where this client of hers is a young man mm-hmm. who's attractive, and so there's this this moment of like, 
is that what's going on? Like, is Beth, mm-hmm. but Beth wouldn't be involved in a client. Well, she's involved with Jim, so maybe she <laughs> would be involved in a client. Mm-hmm. But like, like that doesn't really you know, pan out in any manner. Uh, it's not even like proven wrong because it just isn't a thing that's happened. It's just what I'm reading into it. Yeah, the, the evasiveness is just the like, if I give Jim a name, then he's going to get all weird about it. <laughs> right? Yeah. Let's just cut this off the pass. Like, I just couldn't get a hold yeah. of you, okay? Now you're on the case. Like, you don't have to turn this into, like, a, a, a thing with some other PI. Which could be the episode, but that's not this episode. Yeah. I think we all know that the other PI is is uh, Vernon St. Cloud. I mean, it loses to... <laughs> yep, yep. I think that, that tracks. So, speaking of her client, Davey, mm-hmm. uh, Jim, you know, goes to talk to him. From seeing him in the preview montage and then in, like, his first appearance here, I was like, oh, this guy. And then I couldn't remember why he was a this guy. Like, I was like, oh, this this guy's yeah. such a slime ball. He doesn't have any other Rockford Files credits. I was like, where have I seen him before? Why do I think he's a bad, like, I think that this is going to be a character who is a slime ball because of this actor. Right. Previous role that I've seen. He's in a Columbo. He's in the... <laughs> there we go he's in the bye bye sky high iq murder case and he's not the victim or the killer he's this uh ambitious accountant in this accounting firm that's owned by the killer he like tells tales and he you know is, yeah. is trying to to get the, a leg up and he ends up having you know colombo comes and talks to him a couple times and you know it's it's good stuff but um he's a real slimy character in that and so that's what <laughs> yes associated <laughs> which i think most of this episode is not trying to give me that portrait of this character most of this no, episode is trying no. to give me the idea that he's a he's been wrongfully accused yeah he's a little aw shucks uh even as some of the stuff doesn't pan out that he should be but yeah so when jim talks to him uh again he's slightly starstruck mm-hmm. talking to a football running back but uh we, you know, get all the exposition about the finding this this woman, Doreen, that he was with as his alibi. He fills in about what you were saying, exactly why she wouldn't come mm-hmm. forward, um, and mentions that she's obsessed with her. She's like a stage mom. She's obsessed with her kid, uh, thinks he has a future in pictures. He's only four and a half, and he, like, has, like, red hair and freckles and an overbite, so, but she's obsessed. This poor kid. <laughs> we never see the kid. Well, we see a picture. Do we see, I, like, I, Jim sees a picture. I don't remember if we see a picture of the kid. Do we see a picture of the kid? We do see a picture of the kid because I made a note that was like, this kid doesn't look so bad. <laughs> yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> it's not very long. It's like a little quick yeah, shot, yeah. but anyway. Uh, this is all important later. We end the scene with Davey saying that this whole experience has actually been reassuring because, like, his coach is standing behind him and his teammates and mm-hmm. and Beth and... No matter how it comes out, he's he's he feels like reassured that people are sticking with him, aren't going to let him go down for something he didn't do. Following this, Beth and Jim go to the elevator as he's leaving, and uh, he has some fairly innocuous comment where she snaps at him. Yeah, you know, and he's like, "Hey, you know, what's going on?" She admits she is running a little ragged. Uh, there's been lots of stuff in the press about Davy. It's all circumstantial evidence, but all this attention has an effect. Um, he says, okay, well, he's going to go talk to, he's going to go to Gibby's place, see if he can find out anything there. And then asks her if she wants to go to dinner after. Mm -hmm. I'm a sucker for a rotten disposition. (laughs) It's true. 
Very yeah, true. That's true. But she takes a rain check, um, and you know, it's just she has so much to do. Uh, the trial starts. I don't remember if it's the next day or soon, whatever. But you know, she's very busy, yeah. etc. Uh, and he understands. And so that whole interaction, he's trying to disarm her with some humor, and mm-hmm. she sees what he's doing and appreciates it, even though she can't. She doesn't feel like she can actually like go to dinner. Right. right. Yeah. So there's some nice warmth there. Yeah. And we, as an audience, haven't been let in on the exact reason for the short fuse yet. Mm-hmm. So we're still with Jim. Like, what what's going on, Beth? <laughs> like, what's happening? So Jim goes to Gibby's place to uh, find out more. Mm-hmm. He's the first customer of the day. Yes. And so for good luck, Gibby invites him in to have a drink on him. No cover charge. No cover charge. And he kind of flashes his wallet. He doesn't really, like, I thought he was showing Gibby, like, his that he was a PI or something, but he just yeah, kind of yeah. pulls his wallet out and then puts it back. So I guess maybe like he was willing to pay or whatever. He's like, no, no cover charge. Yeah. I think that's what it was. So he's asking about the robbery. Uh, and we, and you know, we get Gibby's interpretation of the thing, which is like, it's definitely that guy is definitely Davey. Yeah. <laughs> Always with a big smile. How you doing pop? Can you believe that? That's what he called me. Pop. How old are you, Gibby? 40, 39, what? 43, what's that? I, I work out, what's that got to do with anything? Well, you know, if you're 40, 60's old. If you're 20, 40's old. So, you must have been young. You were pops to them. That's really all you know, that they're young. I know that Davy Woodhall knocked this place over. Well, I was trying to remember this when I watched it, and now I, I don't know which side of this I fell on. Because this conversation is both about uh, Davy and the robber. And I think Gibby mm-hmm. says that the robber called him Pops. Right. Something like, yeah, I'm a little unclear, again, looking at my notes, whether he was talking about the robber or talking like he didn't like Davy because Davy would call yeah. him Pops. I, I'm trying to remember it because I think specifically Jim was like, oh, okay. So if the robber called you Pops, mm-hmm. the robber is probably 20 years old. That makes sense. I think that's what was going down with. But I remember being confused in the moment, too. Like, I couldn't figure out who they were talking about at that I time. I mean, I was so. also, you know, looking at Gibby's lapels. So I was distracted uh, yes. <laughs> by those as well. And when Jim questions him again, like, well, how can you be really sure that it was Davey? He yeah. takes Jim's drink that was placed in front of him and pulls it back away from him. <laughs> really nice. He's like, well, I know it was him. Well, what if you're wrong? And so Gibby gets a little more confrontational. His two bouncer goons roll up. I feel like they're both mm-hmm. bouncers and goons. Yeah. And this is a great a Rockford Files yeah. moment where the, the, <laughs> the bouncers have his arms and Gibby reaches out, grabs his breast pocket where he'd put his wallet and just tears the whole pocket out. To get his wallet and find out who he is. Private investigator. So he does not like that a PI who is, you know, look sniffing around to help get this guy Davy out of what he did is uh is is in his place. So he tells him to tell Davy a message. He did the job and he's gonna pay for it, and that's a promise. Mm-hmm. And he tells his goons before they get rid of him, show him how he's working for the wrong guy. <laughs> This is this is a scene that the the phrase manhandling was invented for. <laughs> it's one of those things I can't like. Have we seen that before? It's it's so it's good. It's pure Rockfordishness. <laughs> the this ripping the whole pocket out to get his wallet. Oh, it's so good. 
Uh, at this point, get, like in my notes, Gibby's guilty. Oh, yeah. Right. It's like, did he set it up himself and now he's pinning it? Pinning, and then since someone got killed, he's needs to pin it on someone like something like that. Right. There's that. Plus the fact that the business we see at the beginning very clearly shows them robbing every person in the club, mm-hmm. not just the cash register. Right. Which makes me think, oh, OK, so clearly maybe he gets some insurance money for being robbed, but also he gets all of it's this. actually just cash money yeah and he certainly is not giving us a portrait of a level-headed guy in this uh, no, scene not at all we go to best apartment which is as as we always appreciate very yellow and full of plants yes <laughs> um so this particular apartment set is not the same as some other ones that we've seen for her it's more extensive i think because we're going to have multiple scenes in there the the layout is kind of important as well mm-hmm. the, like uh she needs to have neighbors and, and we need to and a separate bedroom and like yeah 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 so i'd have to go back to the tape about whether they've used this particular one multiple times or not but uh it is at least decorated mm-hmm. in the beth davenport style that we've come to appreciate yes <laughs> uh mid-century davenport uh, mid it is a mid-century davenport we uh uh we have a great storytelling beat it's kind of a combination of all the things um but there's a knock at the door we hear that it's jim and Mm -hmm. from the threatening tone of the end of the last scene and his tone of voice when he says it's jim yeah you can tell me what you thought but i expect her to open the door and him to be just like totally beat up right yeah i was expecting and she comments on him looking like he's but he doesn't look as badly he looks fine, but he's messing with his pocket, which is all torn. Yeah. Like, are you okay? But I'm expecting yeah. him to have black eyes or a, you know, a bandage yeah. or something, right? He says that. Oh, Gibby was out for blood. Mine was available, but I made a couple of pretty good moves. Got out of it all right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that line, Gibby was out for blood, mine was available, is a just a exquisite uh, Rockford line mm-hmm. thank you Juanita like, she does good ones <laughs> she does good ones <laughs> and just the 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 total off screen made a pretty couple yeah. of pretty good moves like okay we can imagine what they were we don't need to see it it's it's good he kind of gives her like a kiss on the cheek in the middle of delivering the lines like he's fine he's fine yeah yeah been through worse so Jim has come to uh he wants a little more information about the the case against Davey while they're talking about that, he kind of sits down on the couch and he picks up this wrapped present that had been on the arm of the couch. Um, mm-hmm. She lays out that there's all this circumstantial evidence, but it can all be explained away. Like he had the same watch, but like it's not like it's a new, you know, it's a watch he's had for years, but there's he doesn't have a receipt for it or anything because he bought it so long ago in a different city. Um, he has the same make and model of car as the one that drove away from Gibby's, but like. There's lots of that kind of car in L.A. Uh, mm-hmm. He had some blood on his sweater, but he cut his lip in practice. And he and the bartender happened to have the same blood type, mm-hmm. etc. Um, so far, Jim hasn't turned up anything on this woman, Doreen. And then he asks about this present and she snaps like, no, and I don't want to talk about it either. Yeah. OK, so he respects that, puts it down. Uh he goes to leave um, to continue his, you know, his investigation. And she stops him saying, oh, she does want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So now we get into the the, the the meat of what's going on here. 
<laughs> I do want to say the business, since we're, we are talking, we're, we're wrapping on mm-hmm. uh, Reza Badi here, the business with the um, the present, mm-hmm. I think, is a real good bit of physical something going on. Like, he sits down and he picks up the gift, and he's just casually futzing with it it's not Mm -hmm. a it's not a thing to him but it's clear that it's a thing to beth Mm -hmm. and there's like i think the scene is shot very well to make the audience go what's going on like what's this gift what's the um i remember because i paused to take some notes right when she goes to open the door and in that shot the the gift is sitting on the arm of the couch so it kind of stands Mm -hmm. out a little bit it's not on the table you know and i remember being like there's a rat present um yeah and then like a couple <laughs> minutes later you know jim's picking him up and playing with it and like it was just so intentionally it wasn't centered like you have to look at this but it's just like exactly in the in the frame in a way that made it a little bit more prominent than maybe it otherwise would have been yeah you wouldn't miss it but it wasn't like it wasn't like the camera zoomed in on it with a pull focus right right and the music went you know but it yeah so She's been getting these weird presents. She got a letter from something called the Harriet Bergstrom Foundation <laughs> uh, devoted to the complete liberation of women, social, financial, sexual, uh, <laughs> that she was a potential grant recipient. And then she started getting these gifts. The first was an art book of nudes. Nudes. And she's like, which is fine. But like, mm-hmm. why are you sending me a, an art book full of nudes? Yeah. That was the second gift. Satin sheets. And they fit. My bed's queen size, they're queen size. Yeah, and the third gift will probably offer you an opportunity to buy all the swamp land in Florida. I don't think I want to know what the third one is. Yeah, Jim, Jim's like, this is clearly a con. Mm-hmm. And she's she reads something more sinister into right. it. Uh, and the presents themselves, uh, and i got to give Juanita Bartlett credit mm-hmm. for this, I think, Um the the whole run of the present as we go through uh, start off with such plausible deniability. Mm-hmm. It it puts Beth in a situation where like how do you like they sent me an art book right it was full of nudes and Beth is like I know there's nothing wrong with nudes in an art book right but but as she says like who sends a thirty dollar art book yeah yeah exactly you know, <laughs> as part of a promotion or a scam or whatever which. Yeah. It's an expensive art book going by our inflation count. Yeah, that, that's a hundred fifty mm-hmm. is what our our uh, back of the envelope. Mm-hmm. But in addition to these weird gifts, she hasn't opened the third one yet, right? So in addition to these weird gifts, um, she also feels like she's being watched. She knows it sounds like she's being paranoid, but it is something that she's feeling. And Jim, again, tries to lighten it with some humor, saying, uh, well, if you aren't, there's something wrong with the male population of this town. <laughs> Oh God! It's like nice try. Not Jim. the best. <laughs> not the best shot. No, uh, that does not lighten the tension because <laughs> she's yeah, serious. Yeah. She's really freaked out. So he says he has a line where he specifically says, um, "If I thought there was something wrong, I would tell you." But mm-hmm. I think you have the pre-child jitters. You know, you've been working really hard on this case. It's a weird. This is a weird coincidence kind of thing. But like, don't let it get to you. And she does feel better for having told him about it. But then we see her put the put the, the chain back on the door after he leaves mm-hmm. in a very decisive manner. Now, at this point, I'm, I'm like, uh, Jim, just listen to her. This yeah, is fine. Yeah. I'm going to be frustrated with Jim for all of 30 seconds. Right, like, right. It's, it's, you know. Uh, but the other thing I had is like, um, this, this is maybe my only like, huh, I don't understand 
why they did it this way. She's telling Jim that it's not that, that it is something to worry about. Jim's saying it isn't. They have an, a wrapped present there that will prove to be good for either, one of their sure, cases. Sure, sure. Uh-huh. And they don't unwrap it. Mm-hmm. And that's that uh, they will, but like in the, that moment, they don't unwrap it. And I'm like, oh, that's odd. All right. From a storytelling point of view, we see why there's right. a thing that's about to happen. But like, yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, I guess my read of that, it, that didn't really strike me in the moment. And I think my read of that mm-hmm. is kind of like Beth has already Beth has already stated that she doesn't want to open it, right? She's like, don't know, yeah. don't open that. So Jim does kind of have the soft like, well, that what that probably is is you know the offer, right? Yeah. And yeah. my read of she still doesn't want to open it feels mm-hmm. you know like, yeah. She's like, it still freaks me out that it's even there. I don't want to open it. Yeah, yeah. Because we see her go look at it in this next scene. Also, yes. So there's a this is a really nice match cut here where she, she closes her door door and and slides the chain to mm-hmm. the inside of Jim's door as he comes into the trailer, yeah. which is <laughs> very pro, very nice. Um, he checks his messages as he's looking at his mail, and there's a creepy message. Mm-hmm. She has a very nice apartment. Enjoy your date, Rockford. <laughs> creepy. Yeah. We then go to Beth where she's trying to sleep and is woken up by the phone call. Same creepy voice saying, tall, good looking guy, but he left with his coat on. (laughs) Didn't stay long, did he? (laughs) Which is awesome. Mm -hmm. Jim tries to call her, gets the busy signal because Mm -hmm. he's hitting the the, the phone while she's on it. And we have some very ominous music come in as she does take the wrapped package. We see her thinking about opening it. There's a lot of good Gretchen Corbett physical and facial acting (laughs) in this episode. We have a lot of scenes where, like, she is worried, she is going through emotions, and we see them clearly in her face and her mannerisms, which is really, really good stuff. Um, She goes to her window to close her... She notices that her her curtains are open. She goes to her window to close it and looks across and sees a dramatically backlit male figure watching her from this walkway of the apartment building opposite her. She gets very scared. Um, Again, with the physical acting, it's like, I think we see that she (laughs) is so freaked out that she can't really, she's trying to close the curtains, but she can't like operate them correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty intense. Um, And then she runs out of her bedroom as there's a knock on her door and she gets even more, flustered and terrified. and terrified yeah until we hear jim announcing himself it's jim it's jim yeah so she's immediately overwhelmed with relief opens the door tells jim what just happened you know he goes to look obviously he's the the, the person is gone now he says he'll go talk to the hotel manager and she's she tells him not to leave she doesn't want to be alone she's not afraid of things she can see but she doesn't know who's doing this to her how do you fight yeah. a, a voice on the phone uh, as Jim is opening that last present? Like, okay, let's see what the hell this mm-hmm. is. And it's a like shower massage wand, like girl's yeah. best friend item. So again, escalating the sexual nature of these these anonymous gifts. So that I think clearly puts it in the in the this is yeah, this isn't yeah. a scam. This is something else. Each each one of these gifts on their own may have some sort of plausible deniability but as they start adding up that yeah plus the phone calls yeah yeah 
Yeah, Jim is 100. Like He's like, okay, this is clearly what's going yeah. on. Yeah. He says he'll talk to Dennis, uh, go stake out that the building in case that guy comes back. And this is where Bet from the preview montage, Beth says that, no, I need your top mm-hmm. priority to be the case. And he's like, well, psychos get my top priority. There's a little bit of a back and forth here where Jim is more concerned about Beth than he is about her case, right? And Beth yeah. wants her case to be top priority. We are starting to take testimony tomorrow morning in a murder trial. First, you have to find Doreen Carpenter. I have to? Yes. How about please? Please. Okay, counselor. It's not a, it's not a good look for Jim no. in this moment, but uh, yeah. Again, it, it feels a little bit like trying to diffuse the moment with humor. Right. And she does have a relief in her voice when she says please. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because, uh, like, I think I think these things are very well done. I think Jim is um, the fact that he couldn't get hold of her on the phone, so he immediately just came back over. Right, right. Like Jim's like, "Oh, I was wrong. Beth needs me right now. You know, I can't. It's not something I have to deal with in the morning." He doesn't know she's getting a phone call. Right. He doesn't know that. Well, other than that, her her number's busy when he calls yeah, her. her. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, so Jim Jim is reacting appropriately, but even as he reacts appropriately, he still um, isn't quite where Beth needs him to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's a very interesting thing that happens in this episode. Um, I think probably when we get to some of the trial stuff, it'll it'll come out. But like Beth, uh, one of the things I like about Beth in this episode is that she's both a woman being stalked who's being terrified by this, but also an exceptional defense lawyer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. None of this is going to stop Beth from being the best Beth she can be. Right. Right. You know, yeah. Like, so this is, um, so, and this is, this is one of these moments where it's like, Beth, this is a thing you should trust Beth on, uh, which I, I think is true. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, that pans out to be true. And Jim, Jim doesn't want to, because he has his own experience and his own, uh, right. things. Yeah. I think this is, this is good stuff. I think from the last scene through this one, I think Jim just isn't really calibrated into her level of of discomfort yet. Yeah. And yeah, then I think exactly. from now on, he's on the right wavelength. But it takes like yeah. this little weird bit at the end here where she says, like, please. Yeah. But then he has to have one last little play where he's like, all right. And he's like, going to go continue the case. <laughs> so he goes <laughs> to the door again and she stops him and says, you're staying, aren't you? And then he. Yeah. I think expecting this, you know, like puts the lock back and smiles. And it's like, I'm, I'm staying like, of course I'm staying, yeah, yeah. but they had to like yeah. have that little, I don't know, that little back and forth to kind of their whole thing, their whole thing. She, she has to know that he, he wants to protect her more than whatever she wants. Yeah. It's important to him <laughs> that she knows <laughs> that she's his priority. Even if she's telling him to go have a different priority. All right, let's take a little pause in the action here so that we can all sit back and catch our breaths and Epi and I can let you know where you can find us elsewhere on the internet. Because as it turns out, we do do other things than talk about the Rockford Files from time to time. Epi, where can our fine listeners find you and your work? You can find my work at www.worldswithoutmaster.com. That's worlds, plural, master, singular, or at digathousandholes.com with the thousand being numeral one zero zero zero. I like complex URLs. <laughs> you can also find me on Twitter at Epidiah, E-P-I-D-I-A-H. 
Where can we find you, Nathan? The hub for all of my stuff from games to zines to podcasts is ndpdesign.com. I recently started a new podcast called Appendix NDP, which is a solo show where I talk about various topics in games and publishing. So I will plug that for listeners of podcasts. You can also find me on Twitter at ndpaoletta, P-A-O-L-E-T-T-A. And on Instagram at the same handle, though I probably will only have pictures of my dog. So, you know, that may be a plus. <laughs> <laughs> now we return to the adventures of Jimbo Rockfish on 200 a day. We do go into some witness testimony. And this is, as you were saying, we, we see Beth just being the best Beth she can be. Uh, mm-hmm. So this is one of his one of Davy's teammates who's being in, uh, examined about this watch and the testimony as elicited by the prosecuting attorney is that he never saw Davy with that watch, like through practice or anything. Because mm-hmm. part of the evidence is he has this fancy watch that Gibby says was stolen from, from him. Right. Yeah. Beth through this whole thing, her head's down. She's frowning. She's clearly distracted. Doesn't look like she's listening and even has to be asked by name multiple times by the judge. <laughs> if she wants to cross examine, <laughs> then she asked Davy, what was the last thing he said? Davy's like, are you okay? I'm fine. What was the last thing he said? And manages to just come out of the gate and just nail him with this uh, by, by yeah. asking about the <laughs> ring. So he's like, you know, are you close personal friends? Well, we're buddies. Well, that's not close personal friends. You see him, you know, at practice and sometimes socially. Does he wear a ring? And the guy can't answer for sure. And it's like, okay, yeah. how do you not know that he's wearing a ring, which is much more apparent than a watch, which is sometimes under a, under a cuff or whatever. So like she comes out and she just like, bam, just, you know, totally undercuts the testimony of this guy. Um, does good lawyering. Great, great Beth stuff. Great Beth stuff. The, uh, my thing here in my notes is just like, actually, I think I recognize watches more than rings, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. yeah, she, yeah. What she does in the trial is great. In reality, I think I am, am more likely to recognize, maybe not recognize, but just note someone's watch than mm-hmm. I am if they're wearing rings or not, because uh, maybe not. But because I guess if he was wearing a ring, it would be like a Super Bowl. Well, not a Super Bowl ring, but like a like a little bit of an ornate. It'd one. be like a fat like it would be for fashion. It wouldn't be like yeah. a wedding ring, which might be like low, low key. Yeah. Yeah. I think watches is some a watch is something you draw attention to, mm-hmm. right? What time is it? But anyways, that's neither here nor there. She won that scene, <laughs> right? Right? Yeah, she won. She wins the scene, and it's a bit of a. It's actually kind of a. I think there's kind of a, a subtle read to it, which is this is foreshadowing the entire nature of the case, yeah. which maybe we'll get back to yeah. in a bit. <laughs> We uh, see that there's another package being dropped off at the front of the, the I mean, mm-hmm. I guess of the, the court building or her office or something. Uh, the doorman keeps the delivery guy there long enough for Beth to come down and we see her hold out a $5 bill and <laughs> then, you know, interrogate him about, you know, where did you pick this up? Who gave it to you? Et cetera, et cetera. There's some good back and forth here to get this information. Where, and then it's like, who gave it to you? He's like, I don't know, some guy. He gave me 30 bucks. I wasn't going <laughs> to... Like, yeah, <laughs> like I wasn't gonna, you know, ask him his life story or whatever. And it's like, which I think is a nice little note to like establish the trouble that is being gone to. Because like, thirty yeah. bucks is a lot. <laughs> yeah, you could buy an art book with that you, amount of money. You could buy an art book. So 
this gets clarified in the next scene, but this is, I think, might be a bit of a, uh, because our times have changed, I wasn't quite sure what was going on. Um, but it's a big box that's wrapped up. She opens mm-hmm. it, and we see there's this, like, yellow cardboard box with a brand name on it. And then there's a small, uh, there's a small thing on top, and she picks it up, and we see that it's a, I mean, to me, I thought it was a book cover, but it says, like, Pleasure mm-hmm. Girl, and it has, like, a, you know, a mostly nude woman on it. And then she stuffs it inside the yellow box and tells the guy, like, hold this for me. I have to go do something. <laughs> I thought that it was like, I was like, is it, I don't know. Is, is that something for use in the bedroom? And she's so like, oh, my God, that she doesn't even want to look in the other box. It turns out that this is it's a film reel. Yes. <laughs> we would not recognize <laughs> that because today it would be on a thumb drive uh, or whatever. Right. But, you know, or, you know, like. So much technology has changed since then. It would have gone to VHS, DVD. But yeah, so the, so it's a it's a film projector with a yeah with a with a porno film included for her. So somebody had to send an entire projector mm-hmm. along with it, which is exquisite. I think <laughs> it's just uh, like mm-hmm. yeah, big big seventies energy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so she got the address where it was picked up from this guy. So she goes there. It's this big fancy house. There's a little plate that says the Harriet Bergstrom Foundation on it over the, the doorbell. No answer to the bell. No answer to the knock. Uh, she she goes in. We have more ominous music, dim lighting. There's sheets over all the furniture. Hello? She slowly goes up the stairs. There's a room with the door kind of half open. She pokes Hello? her head in. Turns on the light and it's covered. All the walls are covered in black and white photos of her. Yeah. From the street to work to in the shower. We even get the spinning camera shot Mm -hmm. around her as she stands in the middle of the room looking at all of them and and the vertigo that comes along with that. Yeah. The the music dies down as she's taking it all in. And we have a couple moments of of no, no music, just just the silence of her looking at them all and i think we see on her face that she goes from terrified to furious and starts yes. starts pulling photos off the wall ripping them throwing them down um and then there's a noise and she stops and mm-hmm. uh our music comes back up as she slowly creeps down the stairwell and there's one real thriller movie style close up of her on mm-hmm. the banister like looking over the banister yeah like it's not really a horror movie look but it's, it's a, like a hitchcocky yeah kind of. yeah exactly it's yeah a, yeah it's a it's a very effective tension building mm-hmm. close-up of her face as she's trying to figure out if there's someone in that house with her or not yeah and then she finally does run out of the house um without encountering anyone and it is a hell of a scene <laughs> yes we go to beth returning to the house this time with jim mm-hmm. and dennis and this time that room is empty. Everything is gone. And she insists it was real. Yeah. And there's kind of a beat. But then Dennis is like, oh, yeah, it was real. You can see all the pinholes in the walls where everything was stuck up. Yeah. <laughs> this is good Dennis. Yeah. Jim says that it was a setup. Someone wanted her to see it. They went to a lot of trouble to make sure she got the address to go see this whole display. Yeah. I think you're like, Dennis, can you check this out? Jim says that he already checked it out through Angel in the paper. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there's our there's our Angel for the episode. His, his useful position as a, you know, 
uh, uh, nepotism hire at his, uh, whatever, his brother-in-law's paper, right? Mm -hmm. So there's no society. This Harriet Bergman is just, she's this kind of recluse who died a couple months ago. Um, you know, didn't have any foundation. Uh, it was just a name picked out of the obits to attach, you know, this whole thing to. Dennis can put a tap on her phone, but so far all of this is just harassment. There's nothing actionable. There's been no threats, right? So they can't actually, you know, there's no like recourse at this stage. And like, and, and Beth knows that, (laughs) like Beth agrees with Dennis, like, you know, we can't do anything. Well, we could try and track them down through the gifts. We? Well, put some men on it, Dennis. Yeah, you find out where the gifts were purchased, we might get a lead on who bought them. Do you know how many man hours that would take? Yeah, that's why I can't do it myself. <laughs> uh, while presumably Dennis is, you know, following up on that, Jim is uh, following up the one lead he still has for finding this woman, Doreen, which is that she's obsessed with her kid and wants 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 him to be a star. So Jim is in an office. Uh, All right. I think actually, I think you skipped this scene earlier. Oh yeah, you're right. I did. I totally skipped it earlier. Womp womp. Yeah. All right. So no, that's all right. Uh, like when you skipped it, I was like, oh, maybe I have my notes mm-hmm. out of order. <laughs> nope. I just straight up yeah, right. skipped it. Wow. I I was your accomplice. <laughs> um. So it could happen now, but it it actually happened to have mm-hmm. happened earlier. So. Mm-hmm. We went to Jim in the office of like a, a casting director or something who specializes in child actors. And yes. he is, first of all, with a wonderful look where his shirt is unbuttoned kind of down to the middle. <laughs> so we see the like chain of the like necklace he wears. And he's also smoking a cigarette. And he's looking for the face of a, a new national campaign for nature's naturals a real cereal for real people so he doesn't want a kid <laughs> yes. that looks like an actor he wants a kid who looks like an actual kid there's a good line where he's like this one's too cute he looks like he makes fifty thousand dollars a year he made seventy five thousand last year because <laughs> <laughs> he has the specific description which is red hair freckles overbite four and a half and he's like the kid has to be yeah. four and a half so they go back and forth. The kid that that's that's three, but can play four, right, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Can write his own name or whatever it was that they thought they'd have to get an adult, right? Um, but she she sighs and reaches into her desk drawer and is like, "Well, he doesn't have any experience, but that's what you're looking for. Not one ounce of theatricality. <laughs> a boy's boys, real people. Sure enough, this is the the child that he has described." Um, he's like, well, I'd like to talk to the mother, set something up. He's like, well, Mm -hmm. the mother moves around a lot, uh, but she calls in often. So when she calls me, I'll give her your number. And he leaves with a, well, let's hope we hear in time. (laughs) Yes. Like a little, little, little pressure. Mm -hmm. So after going to that house, uh, with Dennis and Beth, uh, we go to Jim talking to Davey and showing him the Mm -hmm. headshot of the kid. Uh, apparently who's been named Blaze Mendocino. Yes. It's a hell of a name for a kid. Um, and yeah, they're, they're like, wow, like poor kid, blah, blah. blah. I'm like, I don't know. He looks fine to me. Like it's just a pic. Just yeah. A, yeah. A picture of a kid. I had, um, the woodchuck overbite when I was a kid. Mm. So I, I sympathize. <laughs> then I got braces and those were horrible too. Mm. So life is suffering. Life. That's all I'm saying. 
that's the real takeaway here. <laughs> he explains his 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 gambit here, and and uh, Beth says that she would like it if Jim didn't misre- misrepresent himself. And he asked, "Do you know any better way to find Doreen?" And she's like, "No, I guess not." <laughs> <laughs> she's like she doesn't like his methods but she doesn't have any better ones and it's a good little moment yeah. of their you know general standing uh uh tension um there's a call for her after she leaves the room uh davy asks jim if she's all right she's like, yeah she's fine and davy says she's a neat lady and jim says yeah, yeah very neat uh beth gets a phone call on the payphone in the lobby and uh of course it is another harassing phone call and she comes back in and they they see that she's scared like immediately. Mm-hmm. He must know that the police have her phone tapped. He knows everything else about her. And this is where apparently this is the first that Davy knows that she's been getting this harassment. Right. Uh, so she says that she's pretty shaken, but he's entitled to competent counsel. And she doesn't know how competent she is right now because of all this. So if she want if she wants a new lawyer, he should do that. And he says that he has no complaints. As soon as Doreen walks into that courtroom, he's walking out. All they have to do is wait a day, maybe two. She says that it's bad enough, uh, you know, this would be bad enough anytime, but in the middle of a trial. And that gives Jim a germ of an idea because yeah. this all started when she took on Davy's case. And mm-hmm. it might not be a bad way to get him convicted to ensure that he doesn't get a proper defense. You know, who would want to do such a thing? And Davy says, what about Gibby? He really seems to have it out for me. I didn't do a thing to that man except spend money in his place like there was no tomorrow. <laughs> I do I do want to uh say that I appreciate that Beth tried to pull a gym and remove <laughs> herself from the case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So at this point again I think similarly I didn't really remember, you know, how the plot of this one falls out. So at this point I was kind of like, okay, is this a everything is related episode or is this a mm-hmm. There's stuff going on with the case, like there's like the harassment, yeah, is one thing, and Gibby and the case is another thing, and they're crossing, but they're not involved. And I was like, right. either of those feels like it could be happening. There, there's a a thing in here where um, a little early on, I start writing to myself in the notes where I'm like, why is Davy being framed? Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the motivation? Yeah, is it that he just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, so he's a convenient patsy? Mm-hmm. Or does Gibby, because at this point, Gibby's guilty in <laughs> my head. Mm-hmm. Or does Gibby, you know, particularly hate Davy for some reason? And so I think these are the things that need to be resolved for us to resolve the case. I am wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but this is, this is at, at this moment in time, this is where, where I was. Um, yeah, I think at this point, I was kind of thinking, I wasn't, I wasn't 100% in the boat of, like, it's Gibby. There's, you know, but I thought, you know, there's clearly something going on with Gibby. There's something going on with the harassment. Are they related? Are they not? I did think that the elaborate setup to show Beth all the stuff felt too elaborate for, like, a mob thing. Yeah. Like, I did have that set. So that's kind of why I was like, I think I think there's something else. I think there's the Gibby thing, and I think there's another thing happening. Uh, but I, yeah, I too didn't know who, you know, I was like, okay, maybe there's another player yet to be revealed. Right. Or something like that. Yeah. Like someone else, like maybe someone from the football team who doesn't want him to come back. Right. Or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. is there some third vector? So we'll, we'll find out. 
Um, Because in our next scene, Jim is going over to Rocky's because they have coffee while Rocky asks him. How come you suppose she hit out like that? She could have freed that boy weeks ago. Well, I'll settle for having her clear him now. But why didn't she come out with the truth right in front? As a student of human nature, Rocky, I'll give you a very definite answer. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And Doreen calls. Uh, they have a bit of a business about calling over Mr. Like Turner or whatever the trainer, whatever his alias had been. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Jim talks to her, finally talks to the elusive Doreen on the phone. You get, you get the impression that Rocky enjoys being in on the con. Yeah. Yeah. Like it just, it plays his little role in it. He feels good about that. And Jim says, you're getting good at this. Yeah. <laughs> Three seasons in finally Rocky's yep. <laughs> helping out. Um, all right, so we finally talked to Doreen. We cut back and forth to see her in the phone booth as she's talking to Jim at Rocky's. Um, we established that she's not with her son right now, which is important. Uh, she, mm-hmm. The kid's with her, you know, with his grandmother. Um, and that it's too crazy in the office. He'll come over to meet her at her place to talk about, to informally talk through preliminaries about this, like, prospective ad campaign. And this mm-hmm. is where I start feeling very bad for Doreen. <laughs> Doreen is a pitiable character. You could you could just see it. You can she she reeks of desperation of this like, oh yeah. my god, a national ad campaign for my kid. This is the like this is it. Her body language and everything. Yeah, like this is it. This is finally going to this is what I've been working mm-hmm. for. This is the the key to getting out of whatever her situation is. Like it's pretty intense. Um and it's it's kind of a shame. Like, I feel bad that Jim is going to have to let her down, right? Yes, exactly. And that's not even the worst thing that's going to happen to her. We, uh, we will find out. Yeah. But and, and Rocky even says, like, what do you think she's going to do when she finds out there's no ad campaign? <laughs> yeah. Jim says that uh, she's going to leave Bobby with grandma or whatever. Like, yeah, that has to happen. <laughs> like, it's, you know. Yeah. Um, the courtroom is coming uh, back in session, and the uh, uh, the bailiff mm-hmm. hands, who I think is Jack Garner. Um, oh, his, uh, his brother? Yep, court deputy Jack. We see him in a couple scenes. Uh, but yeah, so Jack, good old Jack Garner, hands, mm-hmm. hands Beth an envelope that came for her, and she opens it uh, during the, the preliminaries, and it's a like cut-and-pasted Ransom-style note that says, I think we should meet, and it's paper-clipped to a magazine where her head has been cut out of a photo and put on the face of a woman who has a, a knife up to her neck, and it's like, you know, a mag- like a sensational magazine, like murder and something, something. I, I think it's called Real Crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's the kind of magazine that, um, uh, oh man, I'm blanking on his name, the... Kolchak? <laughs> no, the, well, yeah, uh, no the the ga- the mechanic who oh oh stole Rockford's Beamer. identity for a while. Beamer, yeah, it's the kind of magazine that Beamer yes, would absolutely. And there's a great shot where she is she's having like a total trauma response yeah. when each of these things is happening. Like she's just been so overwrought by all of this. So not overwrought in the sense of she she shouldn't be. She's having an appropriate no. response, which is like. Yeah, yeah, freezing like she's just totally frozen. We we see her stay sitting as off camera. We hear like honorable judge, whatever. I'll rise. Everyone I'll, around yeah. her stands up and then everyone around her sits down. It's it's really good. It's good. 
It's. I think it's particularly effective because the fact that it doesn't get noted upon. Like right. nobody makes her stand up or anything like that. It. it she feels even more alone mm-hmm. in the situation when nobody even bothers to find out why she didn't rise yeah. or you know or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really good. So Jim goes to talk to Doreen uh, in her apartment where she's apologizing for it being messy and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, she tries to show him headshots and he pretty much gets into it right away. He uses her full name and she's like, how do you know my name? And tells mm-hmm. her the truth. You know, I'm, I've been looking for you for on behalf of Davey, etc. I think we see her go through a gamut of emotions yeah, <laughs> as well, where she's like, oh, there's no ad campaign, is there? Mm-hmm. Puts the headshots down and turns away. And Jim's like, you have to testify. Like, you can't let this mm-hmm. guy go down for murder when you can save him. There's There's like a sense. So my sense here is that she knows what the right thing to do is, but she doesn't want to go through with it. So this is the nudge she needed to like, she just mm-hmm. needed someone else to tell her to do it. But there's, there's another layer that we're going to find out right. about here. Yeah. Because what she's agreeing to is a lie. Mm-hmm. Right. Because right. we don't know that yet, but we're near the end, but like mm-hmm. not to spoil the ending of this, but she's not his defense. She's agreed to mm-hmm. pretend to be his defense. Yeah. Um, but she goes with Jim. They go to their car, to his car, to, to the Firebird. Mm-hmm. As he goes around the, you know, around the front to get to his, to the driver's side, he turns and we see him see a man with a rifle leveling yes. it at them. And he shouts to get down. He drops. We hear one shot. And then we see the guy with the rifle kind of pause and then turn and kind of like slowly run to a car. And I'm like, that's weird. Mm-hmm. You'd think he'd be like fleeing <laughs> or taking more shots. But it's because he did what he was there to do. As Jim turns around to see Doreen lying on the ground, he goes over, checks her you know, pulse and nothing, mm-hmm. which felt like a big escalation to me. <laughs> yeah. The tragic tale of Doreen. It's so sad. Uh, it is. But I was just on the Internet saying that not every Rockford Files episode is about a murder. And here we have <laughs> presumably two murders. I don't, I don't know if the the bartender died. No, he not. did. It was yeah. He's on trial. Davy's on trial for murder. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So now we got two murders. Mm-hmm. Oof. So we go to Jim and Beth uh, walking and talking, establishing that his testimony is hearsay, uh, so it's not mm-hmm. admissible as evidence. Um, but just stating it out loud in front of the jury that'll probably do it. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which is a very, this is how thing, this is how trials actually work as opposed to the, you know, official (laughs) system. There's a big media scrum outside the front doors asking her lots of questions. And there's a lot of no comment, no comment. And then we go to Beth examining Jim in court. Uh, You know, he, he gives his hearsay that she was, you know, Doreen was going to testify that she was with the defendant and it's objected to it's, it's uh, uh, sustained the jury's instructed not to pay, you know, not to take that into consideration. But then Beth asks him, why is she not in the courtroom? Well, she was on the way to testify and she was murdered. And then these reporters mm-hmm. all run out of the room and there's a big, ah, <laughs> and the prosecutor has no cross-examination. Yeah. Here's my question. There's the gasp and the reporters run out of the room, but I could have sworn leading into the room, the reporters were asking her about her witness being murdered. Right, right. 
Maybe it was like a rumor, but unconfirmed or something. That could be, yeah, because she was she was doing no comment. Mm-hmm. So yeah, okay, I'll I'll go with that. It sounds good. So we go to uh, Jim talking to Dennis, um, where he's been he's been pulling some favors, but Chapman's really breathing down his neck. So there's only so much he can do. <laughs> it turns out that the movie projector lead paid off. Um, it's a Japanese import that's handled by a company called Count Co which is a discount house for civil employees. Dennis and Peggy have their own card. <laughs> I've been going the wrong direction. Big surprise. <laughs> you know, Jim has been going on the, like, kind of from the, like, like Gibby or something like that. Like, yeah. But if it's like a county discount house that this was bought at, that means the person is a county employee or, fe- you know, some kind of civic employee. It's unlikely that Gibby would be buying from it. Right. There's not much more Dennis can do unless Jim can tie Doreen's murder to the projector, but it's pretty, pretty uh, uh, unlikely. And we end with Jim going, who stands to profit the most if Beth blows this case? Mm-hmm. And we cut to Davy from Beth as <laughs> Beth and Jim are eating pie in Beth's apartment in dim lighting. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they talk out, you know, okay, let's who, who stands to benefit? What happens if she loses? Uh because she can't handle this case, you know, because she's being harassed and she, you know, whatever. She's distracted, etc. While they're talking, there's a wonderful bit of business where Jim finishes his piece of pie and then switches the plates with Beth's <laughs> where she hasn't been eating it and leaves the pile of crust in front of Beth while he finishes his pie or her pie, which is that's great. Wonderful. Um, but yeah, so if if Davey is convicted, but then can claim that his counsel was incompetent. Then he gets another mm-hmm. shot at another trial yeah. with another jury. Um, and Jim says that someone's gone to a lot of trouble to let Jim in as a witness to say that, yes, Beth is being harassed and is having yeah. these reactions, right? He, he can testify to her agitation. Uh, Beth isn't really buying it because, like, why go, like, going pretty far, including why would you kill your star witness? Like, Doreen could get him off the, like, you know, mm-hmm. if she testifies, if she's his alibi, he walks. So why would he have her killed? Yeah. That's which I, I agree that also. I Yeah. None of this makes sense, Jim. Yeah. It's going to the jury tomorrow for deliberation. It's almost over. She thinks that once the case is over, the harassment will be over. Right. It's linked to the case. Jim says, get your coat. I'm going to give you a chance to convince me and takes a big bite of pie while uh, <laughs> <laughs> while she's getting her coat. It's a good food scene. It is a good food scene. Jim gets to eat a lot of of. Uh, yummy yummy delicious pie in this scene and i think he's riding high because he feels like he's got it figured out like maybe not the murder like but he thinks he has the motivation figured out he's not wrong but the energy he has it reminds me of the um the episode where they fake angel's death Mm -hmm. where he's like he's super excited about running a con that isn't that nobody (laughs) gets and nobody understands yeah yeah (laughs) so they're driving around in her car because he, he's like, if they're following you, oh, yeah. you know, we're going to flush them out. Uh, Beth says, we've been driving around, you know, nothing's happening. Just take, I don't, I still don't believe this. I don't think Davey's doing this, you know, take me home. He goes, not yet. And then he just slams on the brakes and pulls a middle of the middle of the street J turn. Mm-hmm. We don't get the full view of it we kind of cut from him starting it to seeing the car fishtail around at the very end but we can imply yeah. there's an implied it's an implied j-turn yeah <laughs> because it brings him face to face with the blue car 
that we saw the guy with the rifle run into that has been following Mm -hmm. them since they left her apartment. And we have a good shot of the guy's terrified face as he reverses away, uh, having been discovered. And Jim notes his license plate. Aren't you going to follow him? No, let him lose us. Why? You got a gun? Of course not. Well, neither have I. It's so good. He'll run the plate in the morning, but he knows what he'll find. A county employee who bought a projector at Count Co. and is a good friend of Davy Woodhall. So we go to a, what looks like a college uh, football practice. There's a blonde mm-hmm. guy in a hat uh, running drills. We see Jim kind of come up to one side. One of the other players is like, hey, coach, I think he busted something. And he tells the he tells his guys or rather his ladies to take a break. So, you know, yeah, really fulfilling the stereotype. And then Jim's goes, hi, coach. <laughs> <laughs> and he turns and runs and Jim tackles him. Jim is in such danger here because <laughs> he's tackling the coach in front of the football team. But yeah, yeah. And they do go to like pull him off. But he's like, OK, everyone yeah. settle down. And he flashes a badge. And he's from, he says he's a cop from Tulsa and he's, he's, he's performing an extradition, <laughs> but he says, you call the cops, call, call Becker at the Hollywood station and confronts our guy. He's a, the coach. Um, it's like, I don't know what your deal is with Davey Woodhall, but you're, you're good for the murder of Doreen Carpenter. And our coach says, it wasn't my idea. He told me to do it. Uh, and we get a little bit of exposition here that Jim forces out of them while they're waiting for the cops to arrive. Davey did do it. Uh, he gave Doreen as just as a name for his alibi because he knew she was going to be out of town, but then she came back to town. So she, he had this, this guy, his friend, this coach pay her off to testify that you mm-hmm. know they were together, but then he got nervous that she wasn't going to pass a polygraph test, which while not admissible in court is still like, they were going to use it as to, to get the prosecutor to just drop the case. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it was all, so he, you know, told him to do it. It was all Davy's idea. We go to the courtroom. The jury's coming in. We have the drama with the, with the, the verdict. And it turns out that the jury has found Davy Woodhall not guilty. So Beth did it. Beth did it. She won her case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good for Beth. Uh, they hug. Beth is relieved. And I think Davy says something like, what, you know, what, you didn't, you didn't think we we're going to win? He's like, well, it could have gone the other way. And then Davy goes, well, then I would have just asked for a new trial. And Beth mm-hmm. immediately, mm-hmm. we see on her face, like, bam, like, what, what why? <laughs> <laughs> and he says all the phone calls, the creepy gifts, and she kind of shrinks away from him. And it dawns on her that Jim was right. Davy yeah. was orchestrating this whole thing because she never told Davy about the gifts. Mm-hmm. And so it all falls into place. And I think, again, this has carried on the efficacy of Gretchen Corbett's facial acting. Yeah, yeah. All the, you know, any doubts she had, anything that she was trying to paint the best light on, you know, from the evidence that was mounting. It's all just like totally blown away. And she is horrified and terrified. All those emotions are still there. He like touches her, like he like touches her hand or something, and it's really creepy. Mm-hmm. And he 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 gaslights her. He's like, "You you must have forgotten." And then she's in <laughs> yeah. shock, I think, as they go out of the courtroom into another media scrum where they're asking, mm-hmm. and she's like, "I still have no comment." And she's like trying to 
walk away and he has his arm around her and she's just like, yeah it's i mean it's awful like it's very uncomfortable it's creepy it's all very well communicated visually yes yes davy says he's it's he's glad it's over and all he wants to do is play football and by then beth has left and jim has slid in kind of behind him <laughs> to say well, they have a good football team in San Quentin. <laughs> and that's when Dennis uh, and another cop come up in front of all the reporters right after he's gotten the not guilty verdict to arrest Davey again and uh, take him to the waiting car. And then all the reporters follow them to the car as Jim takes Beth's arm and they walk away the other way. We've been giving Gretchen Corbett a lot of credit here for her acting in this episode, mm-hmm. which is absolutely she deserves uh, top-notch acting, Jim, top-notch acting. We're about to witness some of Joe Santos' greatest <laughs> acting. So we have Jim, Dennis, Beth, and Rocky in Jim's mm-hmm. trailer watching Dennis's press conference on TV. Yes, making a reading the prepare the prepared statement about the case. Oh, so good. We have this one statement of Preston Garnett, athletic coach at Foreman High School, that David Woodall planned and helped execute the robbery of Gibby's discotheque. We have a log of telephone calls made by Mr. Woodall during his incarceration at county jail to Mr. Garnett, during which the alleged murder of Doreen Carpenter was planned. Uh, uh, The department will issue further information regarding the case as the details become available. Can I just say that my favorite beat is the O. Like when he's there Mm -hmm. and he's reading it and there's a pause and he goes, oh, and then he continues. It's just, (laughs) there's just something. It's so funny. And then Rocky, of all people, is like, Mm -hmm. why don't you lift your head? I can't see your face bending over that paper that way. It's a prepared statement. (laughs) And then it says, oh, I I did more than that. They cut out all my best stuff. Yeah. Uh, Davey Woodall is currently making a full confession to the to both murders or something like that. Uh, so I suppose, uh, I suppose justice is served. Um, mm-hmm. we do have a quick line between Jim and Beth about like the original robbery. Like, I guess if you've been benched for the whole season and you think they're not going to pick up your option, the cash starts looking pretty good. Yeah. It's a little, um, a little point blanky <laughs> is what I'm thinking. <laughs> like it's a, uh, like, Maybe he's in it for the thrills. I don't know. It, he, it's under-motivated. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there was the line earlier where he says, like, I didn't do anything to Gibby except spend money there like it was going out of style. So between yeah. these two things, maybe, like, he spent so much money there, then he felt like, yeah, I don't know. He didn't have a high opinion of the place, and he wanted to get, he needed to get some money or whatever. There's, yeah. yeah it, it, like you say, it's a little under-motivated. Um, he's clearly a huge creep. So my original yeah. assessment of him from from his character from Columbo, I think, was borne out, was was correct. Yeah. Um, we have a wonderful ending to this episode. Dennis and Rocky have gone over to the kitchen portion out of the kitchen portion of the trailer out of the shot. Jim and Beth are there. Uh, Jim asked Beth to pick up that rain check to go have dinner. She says all mm-hmm. she wants to do is go home. And Jim says, suits me. And they both smile (laughs) and they head out towards the door of the trailer. And as they're about to open the door, Jim goes, later, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) And we leave it up in his trailer. And we freeze frame as Jim and Beth as they're about to go back to Beth's place to uh, presumably celebrate the ending of this very traumatic time of her life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Good episode. I had a lot of fun. Uh, 
hats off to everyone involved, but in particular, Reza Badi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, putting in more good work. I mean, I, I think we're both, you know, looking for, I think, directorial stuff um, for this yeah. one. And it, I think that pays off. There's some really good, I think we called it out as we, as we went through it, but like really good match cuts. There's a, the sequence going through the house was really, really well done. Um, almost yeah. cinematic with some of the framing of Beth, uh, just to contrast with like TV, but like, you know, some good, like dramatic, uh, like the dramatic close ups and stuff like that, which are a little more, yeah, yeah. like you said, Hitchcockian, um, yeah. All the, all that, all that stuff, all the stuff was good. The stuff, it was good. <laughs> the stuff was good. Yes. No, it was a, it was a very solid episode. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like I want to praise, uh, Reza Batty for it, but also I want to praise Juanita Bartlett for the, uh, the script and I want to praise all the acting in it. It was all very well done. Yeah. The, the script is great. Um, I think I, I, I might've mentioned in passing, but the, the cross examination scene with the the watch and the ring, I think that's mm-hmm. like, that kind of foreshadowed the whole nature of the case because Beth was effective in her cross examination. She fulfilled, you know, her goal as a defense attorney. However, the truth of the matter was, you know, what was being clearly communicated yeah. by the original, <laughs> the original mm-hmm. like case, right? Where it's like, well, I never saw him wear a watch, and now he's wearing this expensive watch. Like that's not untrue even though that yeah. undermined his credibility as a witness in the matter. Uh, and I felt like that was really nice going back through it, a fairly nuanced uh, nod to the truth of the matter as it is revealed over mm-hmm. the course of the rest of the episode. She, she wins her case. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think of like the, the best way to put this without being flippant because it shouldn't be flippant about it, but like, she does her. She's an extraordinary defense attorney, and also <laughs> uh, they get comeuppance for um, her client who happens to be harassing her. Right, and yeah, and be a murderer. So, <laughs> and be a murderer. Yes, a <laughs> uh, 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 robber and murderer, and uh, probably like by the end, you get the impression that he was into the harassing. I feel. I feel like there was like that that last scene between he, him and her mm-hmm. he couldn't resist being menacing towards her it's not that like oh you caught me it was more like yeah he he thought it was all over right so he's like yeah i can be i don't know i'm in control here. i'm in control here yeah, yeah. it's definitely not yeah. he, he's not painted as someone who's like totally obsessed with her or whatever on its own merits, Mm -hmm. but there are a couple tiny little things. Like when he says like, she's a neat lady. Like there are a couple tiny little things where it's like, he's spending a lot of time with her. Mm -hmm. Part of the juice of the whole thing is probably also that he's leveraging this power over her that she doesn't know that it's him. Right. Like that's part of why, maybe why it escalates so much Mm -hmm. because it goes pretty out. Like it's pretty intense. Yeah. All the photos and everything. And like, that's a lot of work and like his buddy <laughs> like really yeah, yeah. puts in the legwork right for whatever yeah, hold yeah. he has over him so it's uh the magnitude of it gets pretty serious and i think yeah him kind of letting his guard down enough to be like haha i get to enjoy this moment where she finally realizes that it's that i'm the one with the power here even while he's kind yeah. of deflecting i think that comes i don't know maybe i'm reading a little too much into it but that's a good no i think it's there i has think some it's, weight to um, it yeah yeah 
so yeah, it's a good one. It's a recommend, probably with some content warnings. Like I, I think if um, the stuff that Beth goes through is is not, she doesn't feel physically in danger, but it's it's harrowing, and mm-hmm. and Gretchen, uh, Gretchen Corbett definitely gets that across. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah. There's one thing I think that I'll I'll carry with me going forward is that the subtitle of this one is like is really the the tragedy of Doreen Carpenter. Yeah. <laughs> Not only, I mean, obviously she gets killed for pretty much no reason, which is awful, mm-hmm. but her whole arc of like putting so much weight on this like perspective break for her and her kid. Yeah. And then that being not panning out, but like, but she's going to get paid to like lie in court. Okay. Yeah. And then she gets killed just because the guy who was paying her got worried that she wouldn't do it right. Yeah. It's pretty sad. Yeah. But, but yeah, adds, adds again, some, a little additional emotional weight to, uh, to an episode that's already pretty, pretty heavy, but not depressingly. So <laughs> dramatic, <laughs> dramatically. So, which is what I, but yeah, it's a thriller. Yeah. I think the whole thing has a little bit of a Hitchcock bent to it, mm-hmm. that, which is nice. I agree. Uh, I think that's pretty much, I think we've pretty much gone through all my thoughts on it. Nothing more pithy to say. Nothing more pithy <laughs> to say. So I guess uh, I think we can rest easy with the knowledge that Beth is going back to her standard relationship with Jim. Jim and Beth, <laughs> yeah. their whole thing. The whole thing. Will continue without undue harassment. Um, and maybe we'll see it again as we will be back next time to talk about another episode of The Rock for Foss. Put a little stank on that.